Angelo once said, Courage is the most important of all the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. Welcome to Building Grit, one call at a time. Every human being will be faced with a massive challenge. How you deal with problems is based on grit, determination, perseverance, and will. On this show, we talk to people who face challenges and how they dealt with them. This is Building Grit, one call at a time. And this is your host, Nick Wingo. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Building Grit, one call at a time. I am really excited about this podcast. Uh, This is someone that I have been following, someone that offers me a ton of value, someone that I really look up to as a mentor best-selling author, just really has a ton of stuff going on, really cares about people, really is very smart with business, really goes out of his way to help people and is doing stuff that people right now are not willing to do. He's willing to take risks. He's willing to put himself out there and he's really going after what he wants. And I appreciate all that he does. And so I am super excited to introduce to you guys, Tony Watley. Tony, how are you doing today? Hey, Nick, thanks for having me on the show, brother. I can't wait to share some value with your audience and yeah, thank you for the kind words. Uh, yeah, man, I, I, everything I said, I, I truly believe. You know, the things that you were doing recently, I just got a chance to go to your your event, the 365 Driven event. You know, you are literally doing stuff that nobody else is willing to do right now in this time. Nobody is willing to take the risk that you did. And when you're willing to take risks like you are, man, you just, you're going to go so far with that stuff. Yeah, I hope other people remember that once all this pandemic and thing is passed and they're going to remember who the people that were actually out there still doing things because you and I both have seen a lot of people in the influencer space or the coaching space kind of go silent in the last six months. They just kind of like turned down their social media and I don't know why, maybe they're not doing well financially or maybe they're just not believing the things that they were saying. But you know, guys, we're 365 driven and we try to improve every single day on a level of business and mindset and fitness and all these different things. So as somebody that's leading a community of alpha people that are getting shit done, how am I supposed to go hide in the shadows and hide and do things and, and act like, oh, let's play safe, guys. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. So we decided, you know, it was on my list that I wanted to have an event in 2020 and I wasn't going to let some stupid pandemic that has a very low probability of death, 99.6% of survival, if you get it, wasn't worth like hiding anymore. I think we've all seen the data. Of course, we were all worried and concerned at the early onset of months when we didn't have all the information or data or results. But nowadays, if you're still running around scared, it's because the media that you're listening to is compounded that into your head that you should be avoiding things and you should be scared and you should wear five masks and wash your hands and stay 10 feet away from people. It's just, it's absurd. Yeah, I agree, man. It's so funny because doing IVs, you know, I go out to people's houses and you should see the absolute terror that some of these people have. I mean, one person, my partner, he went to do an IV and the lady had to stick her arm out of the screen door and didn't let him come in the house. And like, she was wearing two masks. It was, it was so crazy. Like he was telling me this story and I'm like, oh my gosh, these people, they just don't get it. You know, and my dad, he actually is in the hospital with Corona right now. 
And the only reason, let's be 100% clear, the only reason he is in the hospital, because he stopped taking his insulin like an idiot. Like, seriously, I'm like, dude, three days he stopped taking his insulin and his blood sugar got to 559. That's the only reason. It has nothing to do with Corona, just has oh, the man. fact that he's just not thinking. I was like, dude, so that's that with Corona. That's my opinion on it. It's just, I, you know, it's crazy yeah. to me. It exists, but I think the risk is a lot lower than people really, they need to focus on the data instead of the emotions around it. Absolutely. hundred percent. Well, Tony, I just want to start out with, for you to just share a little bit about who you are, you know, where you kind of come from, you know, and a little bit about the 365 driven society. So people kind of understand who you are and what it is that you do. Awesome. Thank you for asking that. I, I think the best way to think about it is I grew up lower middle class, two hardworking parents. Dad was oil industry refineries here in the Houston area after he served in the U.S. military and the Marines in the Vietnam War. My mom's a Japanese immigrant and she worked in the public school systems her entire life as a cafeteria worker. So I got to see the values of hard work and the American dream and making ends meet and living on government cheese and all these different aspects of growing up and understanding that I wasn't going to be rich. So my goal was just to make $100,000 a year, just like most people in the United States, go make six figures. We hear that. And you know, it's been the same goal since the 1960s. You know, when you think about that, that's a long time ago with the same goal and with inflation and things being more expensive and the dollar being worth less, that goal hasn't changed. And unfortunately, when we go look at the you know, the average income in the United States right now, household income is around 68000 a year if I looked recently. That's still low. It's still below $100,000, even with inflation and raised prices and all these different things. So I get why it's still the first milestone, but most people settle when they get to that point because they think they've air quotes made it or they're successful among their peers and their friends and family are telling them how awesome they are. And most people, you know, me being a hiring manager for 20 something years in oil and gas, I've seen people get promoted and get raises into that range, what I call a sweet spot between 100 and 120 here in the Houston area. If you're making that, your life is pretty good. You got all your bills paid. You may have a new truck in the driveway. You've got some toys to go play with on the weekends. And you know what? I see people really just start to lower their performance at that point because they become complacent and they, all their bills are paid and they're very comfortable. They're no longer challenging themselves. They're no longer involving themselves in learning new information or doing new things because they've gotten complacent. And that's where people kind of stagnate. And it always drove me nuts to see that and experience that a little bit for myself. But I said, okay, this oil industry, this engineering career is paying okay. It's paying well. People you're surrounding yourself with are like, man, you're you're very successful. This is great. Now, congrats for going to school and all these things. And, and you start to believe that bullshit after a while. And you wonder why like people are saying this because I didn't feel like I was working that hard. You know, I had a pretty good salary, but I didn't feel like I was working that hard. And it wasn't nearly as hard as me working in the construction industry for the first part of my adult life, working out there in the Texas sun, in the middle of the summer, wearing fire retardant, you know, suits and a hard hat and steel toed boots and being covered head to toe with dust and insulation particles. And that was hard work. Okay. So now I'm in the industry, I'm sitting in air conditioning in my polo shirt and khakis and feeling like, dude, this is easy shit. Like, why are people complaining so much about this? And yeah, so I started opening businesses on the side. I started doing things on the side to make money. And that's what I really started to do. And those things just kind of took off. What do you think it was? Was there like any specific thing that made you have like the light bulb moment of like, this is not enough? Or did you always feel like you just always wanted more out of life? What do you think it was that really kind of drove you to step outside that what everybody else was telling you, because what I'm hearing is, is that everybody else around you is telling you like, Hey, 
you've like, you've got the good job. You could have easily in your life, you could have decided that, you know, yeah, I got the hundred thousand dollar a year job. I got the things. And so you could have easily just said, I'm just going to be okay with mediocrity and I'm going to continue to live my life like this. I think it's for me, it's I've, I've always been competitive and I've always been a risk taker, kind of a daredevil personality. So those combinations of the two was always making me curious about what I could do or how far I could go. And even as a child, you know, if, if you're going to, if we're going to jump our bicycles off of a wooden ramp, I was going to put an extra brick under it and do it higher. So that's just who I am. And I'm okay with that. I understand that not everybody's wired like that, but those things benefit me. And I understand that if that's my strength to be able to go do things and show people by example, then I'm going to go rock those things that I have with me. So for me, it was just always about like, if I'm doing this and it's not that hard, then I'm really not doing everything I could be doing. That's kind of how I've always felt. So when I would get home from my normal job, for context, I put myself through engineering school, working construction and waiting tables on the weekends, and then even turning wrenches on cars on the weekends at a shop on Saturday mornings. And I started to feel like I was just really kind of burning myself out because I was doing that whole 24-7 hustle and grind that people talk about, where I was only sleeping three or four hours a night at the most and going to school at night and working a full-time job that was physically you know, enduring. And when I finally graduated and I had the big boy job, a salary, yeehaw, you know, it's probably making 50 grand a year at that time. I would get home at 4.30 in the afternoon and I would be bored. And I mm. said, well, what do people normally do? And I started thinking around, like, they just sit their ass on the couch and they watch TV or sports or play video games until they go to bed. It's like, this is the life. Like, this sucks. So after being that hustle and grind for seven years, I decided, like, I can do more things that are productive with my time. Maybe I can figure out how to make extra money and then I can go buy nicer cars or have a nicer apartment and things like that. So that's what I did is I started teaching myself how to code and build websites you know, early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of businesses on websites yet. So I figured out how to do that. I bought a couple of books at the bookstore and I would read a couple of instructions and I practiced them on notepad on my computer and it started to make it look like a website. And then I taught myself Photoshop by just playing around and reading books and practicing again. And so then I can make logos and then say, wow, I can make logos and I can make a website. And so I would go around and talk to the different automotive performance manufacturers or car dealerships. And I would say, hey, do you don't have a website? How about you trade me car parts that I was going to buy from me and I'll build you a webpage. So I got in this bartering thing at the beginning. I was just trading my abilities for things that, that I wanted so I didn't have to spend my money. And with that skill, I was able to just build and build and build. And I built like hundreds of these little websites. And it wasn't just even for automotive. I was building them for health and fitness places and, and a woman's magazine website. I built all kinds of crazy websites. But that was my first side hustle that was actually making decent money because I could charge between $500 to $1,000 to make a website and I can knock one of those out in a weekend. So that's the way I started out. And you know, I built an online community because I had that skill and my partner was a, a technical recruiter. He owned his own recruiting agency in Chicago. And he was fine getting on the phone and cold calling people for advertisers and things like that. And I was good at the technical stuff. So we combined and you know, I built out the website and we just really wanted to make $500 a month. It was a really small goal before we started this because we both had big boy jobs we didn't need like, you know, to make millions of dollars. We were engineered degrees and he's a business owner. And so I was driving a new Trans Am that I'd bought myself for graduation from college. And he had a new Camaro SS and the payments on those were about $500 a month each. So I said, man, it would be really cool if we built this business online and made $500, kind of felt like Dr. Evil doing the million dollar thing. Right. And 
it just grew, dude. And within probably six, seven months, we we're making about $10,000 profit a month. And we're like, hey, oh, shit. Awesome. Like, this is like legit. This isn't like, it's making more than our career now. So what do we do next? And I said, well, you know, I think we should turn this into a business. That kind of gives you an idea because like, we just got started, took actions, did the right things and grew the community. And it started to produce you know, income from advertising revenue. We had over 150 advertisers when we sold it. And when you think about that, we didn't have an LLC or no business principles or you know all the stuff that we know now. We didn't know any of that. We just did things and did things the right way, treated the members as actual valued customers, even though they were there for free. We treated them just like customers that were paying because if we treat them right, they keep coming back, they get a good user experience. This attracts more advertisers, more eyeballs. I'm really the same platform type you know, business model is Facebook or Instagram nowadays. We did this before Facebook even existed. And it was the same business model. We can attract people by treating them right, giving them value. We'll put in advertisers and we'll make money from advertisers. And that's what we did. And we made millions of dollars doing that. That's so awesome. There's two things that I pulled from that. Number one was that your timing. You said it. you spent seven years really kind of learning who you were and what you were doing and what you wanted to go after. I know for me, often I get caught up and I'm sure other people, I know other people do, is you get caught up in this, I want things to happen right now. And I want it to happen like yesterday and it just can't happen fast enough. And then what happens is that you want to quit because it doesn't happen. You want to just throw in the towel because it's been that six years and maybe it's that six years and two months mark, man, you almost get to where you're about to break through, but you stop just shy at that two month period. And then you start this next thing and that thing goes in six months. But what people need to realize is that six months would not have happened had it not been for the other seven years of experience of building websites, of really understanding how all those things work. You know, I know, like I said, I get caught up in that. And so people, you just really need to remember that it's not going to happen right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely about having some patience and seeing the vision and putting in the work. And I know that most people quit. You and I have talked about this. Most people quit two to six months. That's a good time frame, like you mentioned. And when I know that, that gives me a competitive advantage because I can look at all these other assholes that are going to quit and fold and realize that if I can just make it two to six months past them, I'm already ahead of them because they're going to quit. The vast majority of people will quit. I would say 90% of people will quit. So if I can just make it past 12 months, that puts me in a little bit different perspective. And I know that I can get there because I've had that tendency to do that. And I'm also very patient. So I think that you need to be very driven and very have some gratitude for where you're at, but you also shouldn't be satisfied for where you're at. You should always be wanting more and you should just be putting in the work even when nobody's really watching and you feel like nobody really gives a shit about what you're doing. Maybe you're not getting the results that you feel entitled to because entitlement's a big deal nowadays. So you got to realize, I just got to outweigh these people and outlast these people. Then I'll have my own green pasture of my own because they're going to be all gone. And I've done this a few times with different businesses and it's just the same thing playing over and over and over. Yeah, that's awesome. The other thing that I pulled out of it is uh, I'm, I'm reading by recommendation from one of uh, our 365 Driven members, uh, The Millionaire Mindset. In, in that book, it talks about how we are programmed to make a certain level of money. Um, and oh, you, you said that right in this conversation. You, you said you were programmed that you wanted that $500 a month that was what you were programmed to. 
So what did you do? Uh, you know, I know that you coach uh, visualization and a few other things, but what do you think are the, uh, the biggest key things that you need to lean into to break yourself out of that mindset of the, you know, $500 a month? Man, it's tough, especially if we're growing up middle class. I think that a lot of our beliefs around money, our relationship with money. Here's the funny thing is most of us actually build that relationship and belief system around money before we're 13 years old. Mm. So when that, think about that, your childhood years, your formative years, you're watching your parents, you're watching your teachers, you're watching your friends, your friends' parents, people you surround yourself with and grow up with, your society, your environment, they're conditioning you to have certain beliefs about money by hearing things that your parents or your friends say. Maybe you had that dad that would see some rich guy driving around in a nice car and say something like, must be nice. And then you started to build this resentment for people with nice things. And that became your belief system. And you never challenged that because when you're young, when you're 12 and under, you don't have a basis of reference to compare your belief system to. So what other people are saying you just adopt because you don't have a basis of reference. You have a void there. They give you that piece of information that fits that puzzle piece into that void. And you go, well, cool, that place is filled. I believe that now. And you carry that into adulthood and you start to think about, you know, we see these things on the internet nowadays with the election year going on. And I see these people and it drives me nuts because they're saying, well, oh, well, Biden's going to raise taxes, but it's only for people paying 400 or making 400,000 a year. It's only for those people that became successful. It's not about us. You know, we're for the middle class. And I'm thinking, you guys are fucking idiots. Because yes. even <laughs> as age 15, when I was making $2.45 an hour working at McDonald's for the two years in high school, I knew core values ethically, it was wrong to go take money from people that were making more just because they had to figure out how to make more. I knew that was wrong. And you know, and it's, it's really fucked up how people will go vote on the position in the fucked up situations that they're in right now, but they won't support the ideals and the goals that they would like to have in their life. And the way I tell people that is that if you're going to go vote for things that you're in your fucked up situation right now, rather than the place that you would rather be, that place that you want to be, those goals that you want to have, that life that you would dream about won't be there for you because you didn't support it now. So when I started thinking about this stuff and I would read you know, children's stories like Robin Hood, steal from the rich to give to the poor, you know, fuck Robin Hood. <laughs> fuck you. Because why are you taking money from people who have earned it and proved something and became a producing person in the environment and the society? And you just think it's cool to go steal from them because they've done that? You know, that's a messed up mentality. But these are belief systems. These are things that we learn from our parents and our schools and our, you know, our friends. And you start to just need to challenge your beliefs on all kinds of things about money. You know, when we hear things like it takes money to make money. That's another bullshit belief. I used to believe that because I'd heard it my whole life. So I, you know, I thought I'll never be a business owner. So I need to go get a degree and go get a job. Just like schools and public schools condition everybody to believe you're not going to own a business. You need to go get a job. Well, go get a high paying job, go do this and become a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. You know, they tell you the, these are the only three rules that you have, to, you know, paths. And I didn't want to believe that stuff, but it was all I had. So I kind of carried that into my adulthood. And, you know, when I used to think that you had to be rich to start a business because it takes money to make money, Nick. It takes money to make money. And I used yep. to believe that. And I'm sure that a lot of your listeners probably still believe that, you know? I've, and so I've gotten caught up in that. I've gotten caught up in that myself. Dude, it's so easy it. to, 
Yeah, it's so easy to, you know, there's a couple of things that, I mean, I just love the fire you bring. There's a couple of things here that just really resonate with me is that number one, when you start to hang out with people who have money, who have been successful and you really get to know them, um, like as I've gotten to know you, uh, as I've gotten to know some of these other individuals that I've connected with, you know what I find time and time and time and time again is that people who are successful are very, very giving and they want to give back and they want to help you. They're not going to just give you a handout, right? Like it's not just going to be this free handout because that doesn't do you any good. You handing me something for free does me no good. Why? Because then I still am in that mindset of, you know, oh, I want something from you because you have what I don't have, right? But what I've learned is that when you start to become wealthy, you want to give back to people when you want to help other people. And so that's just a lie like that, that ideology that people who have money or people who are successful are nasty or mean, or, you know, all these things that all the outside environment tells you, it's just not the truth. Like go hang out with some people, change the people you're hanging out with. And you will quickly realize that that is not the facts. It's just not. Yeah. I still remember being young and my grandparents and most of my family lived in Shreveport, Louisiana. And anyone in that area, maybe this neighborhood still exists. I don't know. But I remember my parents, you know, family, my dad's side of the family, basically, we all had trailer park homes when when we were kids, right? Like, I thought the richest person in my family was my uncle Hollis because he had a double wide on a couple acres and he had made the front of his double wide appear like a house from the street. So we just thought he had a big house. And that was my context of being successful was just having a big trailer on a couple acres and didn't think anything of it. And, you know, and as you start to get older, you start to see yourself around money. But I remember outside of that area, I'm not sure where it is, but I remember there was a a somewhat affluent neighborhood. I wouldn't even call it affluent by my standards nowadays, but nicer home area, gated community. And the neighborhood was called Knob Hill, I believe. Okay. And somebody had spray painted an S in front of it. So it made it Snob Hill. And I remember riding by that with my cousins who lived in that area and they would all laugh about that. And I thought it was fucked up even as a kid. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So deep down, you really already were having these ideologies were outside of what uh, you were told was normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get that from my parents. They were always encouraging us to do more. My mom being Japanese coming here from Japan she loves America. She became a citizen herself in a legal way, right? And she's lived the American dream because her generation in Japan, girls were plucked out of junior high to go work in the farms. Like boys got to go to high school, but the girls didn't. So she valued education and freedom and things that were about America. And they always taught me that I could go do things, whatever I wanted to do. And I remember my mom being so excited to be here. She would say things like, you could be an astronaut because we grew up around NASA and Houston area. You could be an astronaut. You could be a pilot. You could be the president of the United States. She was like very excited and always telling me that I could do whatever I want. Okay. And my dad was just a hard worker and I've seen how that works and the results that happen. And, you know, they are, you know, millionaires now by just saving money and like doing things the right way financially, but they never, you know, had a big paying job. They just kind of built brick by brick, you know, the whole damn Dave Ramsey business model. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I got to see the hard work and the fruits of labor over that. And it's just, yeah, I've always been encouraged to do more. And I never, I'm fortunate. I didn't have a family that would talk down to people that had more than them. That's awesome, man. It's so, it's so good. You know, I think that something that's important to pull from this is the power that you have over your children. You know, like for me with my kids, 
I'm finding right now. Uh, when I talk to my kids about stuff, it's interesting. I just released a podcast today, actually, with Owen. Uh, I, I took the time to really sit down and talk to him. And I was really just blown away by all the things that I'm doing right now and all the conversations that I'm having. And he's hearing and he's watching and he's looking and he's, mm-hmm. it is mind boggling to me to see the stuff that he's pulling out of me just by watching me, you know, and it is so important, just like you're saying, what you speak into your children, because it could blow into like what you've done. You have created this huge thing. And that started back then when you were told, like, you can do anything that you want to do anything. That's absolutely right. And I always believed it. And the funny thing about it, I remember my mom, my mom saying, you could be the president. And I was a kid, I was probably 10 years old at the time, you know, that age range. And I said, well, how much does the president earn? And she told me what he earned. And I said, that's not enough to get shot. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in the era of assassinations, you know, and I was like, no, no, thanks. No, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. That's funny. Tony, you know, there is one event in your life that I want to talk about that I've heard you talk about before that really changed your viewpoint. And that was, you had a a near-death accident that had happened to you. And so in this podcast, one of the things I try to do is just talk about the stuff that people usually don't talk about and just remind people that we all have things in life that we go through that are really difficult and hard to get through uh, and that change our viewpoints. So can you talk to us a little bit about that specific event that you had had happened to you? Yeah, this was in 2015. And, you know, you know, for context, I'd sold my company 2007, had a final transition 2009, made millions of dollars and was working my corporate job, started a couple other companies is doing pretty well, very comfortable. And I never really wanted to put myself out there because I had a comfortable life. And the only people that were benefiting from my knowledge at that time were my close friends and people around me. So I helped several of my friends start companies and became millionaires themselves. And they were always telling me I should be doing this, but I didn't want to, I had, you know, insecurities. I didn't want to put myself out there. I didn't like my recorded voice. I didn't like being in front of the camera. I was really good at taking photos, but I didn't like being in front of the photos. And so that's how I lived a lot of my life, you know, just kind of, you know, I had bullies in my grade school years. And I just realized if you stick your head out, you might get punched in the face. So I kind of just tried to blend in and just be very successful in the background. Okay. I think a lot of people are actually like that. And what happened in 2015 changed the course of my life because I have been known for racing cars and writing articles for magazines and doing test drives and getting good results. I'm very good at getting quarter mile times, especially with a manual transmission and lap times around a road course. Just love driving. I'm a car fanatic. And so it's not unusual for people to throw me the keys to very expensive hardware to tell me to go and extract some good times or lap times. And then write an article or do some videos about that kind of stuff. That was what my business was based on. And so I did that one night in 2015. And, and it was a thousand horsepower Dodge Viper. And I was trying to be the first nine second pass in the general, you know, Gen 5 Vipers, which is 2013 plus. And I've got a no, my own Vipers, more horsepower than that. And it runs low nine second quarter miles. So I have a lot of seat time, a lot of experience behind the wheel of those cars. And so when I was going down this pass, it felt like a record pass. I know what a nine second pass feels like. We were on that number. And as I shifted into third gear, something in the right rear suspension broke loose. And on an independent rear axle car, when something in the suspension breaks, that makes the rear wheel, it turns like, like pushing a shopping cart backwards. The front wheels are, you know, are straight, but the rear wheel is turning and you have no control over that. And I didn't realize why it was pulling to the right at that time. I just knew I was going towards the wall in the right lane and I was in, I was in the right lane. And so I was trying to keep it off the wall, but the car had a mind of its own. It started creeping towards that wall and it started to slide, you know, down that wall. 
And there was a lot of different emotions because the car started getting out of line. I felt a little bit of fear, but I'd been there before and I, you know, I could recover the car. And, and as it started getting and it started touching that, that grazing that wall, I kind of got mad at myself because it wasn't my car. And I felt like I damaged somebody else's expensive car and I let somebody down. And so I had fear, then I had anger. And then I said, well, if this is the worst of it, no big deal. I'm slowing down anyway. So I started to get on the brake and came off of that wall. And what happened is that right rear wheel kicked out again because that wall was holding it straight. And then now I went hard left. I was still doing 130 miles per hour and I went hard left. And now I'm looking at the Jersey barriers in the other lane, approaching them in a two-door sports car at 130 miles per hour. And I thought, well, here I go. I really said that to myself. I said, well, here I go. Because in that moment, I thought I was going to die. And it was really a weird, profound feeling in that moment because I felt really peaceful. So I just told you I had these emotions of fear and anger and then all of a sudden I was peaceful. And it was like one of those, you know, hear like the Jesus take the wheel moment. It really was because I, I was steering straight, but the car was going hard left. I had nothing to do with where it was going to go or how it was going to impact. And I just remember just being really peaceful in that moment. And it was milliseconds when you think about those speeds, but it felt like an eternity. Okay. I didn't see like my life flash before my eyes. It just felt like really peaceful. And you know, I'm impact the wall and there's terrible noises and, you know, cars coming apart and like, you know, glass breaking and like, pieces like literally wheels came off the car and it crushed the, the front of the car up into the windshield. And, you know, and I, all I remember was surviving the impact and seeing the airbags deploy and it was nighttime. So it was like white smoke in the thing. And it was at the end of the track and there was very little lighting and dash lights were flickering. So it was kind of just, I, I just remember just shutting my eyes and thinking to myself in that moment, as the car is still sliding, I just need to stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Because you being a fireman, you know, most accidents are death by fire, not by impact. So I knew from race training and several years of racing that I need to get the fuck out of this car. And mm -hmm. the only way I can do that is if I stay awake. So I just focused on staying awake. I didn't know the, if I was injured or not. I just remember I was awake. And so finally I could hear the car finally come to a rest and I had to pry the door open because that side had been caved in. And, you know, I pushed the door open and I got out and I didn't know if I was injured or not, but I was looking at the car and there's fluid strewn across the track for hundreds of feet and two wheels are off and the front caved in and every body panel on this Dodge Viper was crashed because I must have hit the wall a few times. And I just took my helmet off and I was just standing there and I could hear the ambulance at the starting line coming up the track and I could hear my friends sprinting that quarter mile and getting on their four wheelers, like sprinting up from the starting line. And it was dark where I was, so they couldn't see the result of anything, but I was just standing there with my helmet off looking at things. And I was really calm. I was really calm. And I didn't know if I was injured or not, if I had adrenaline, you know, kind of hide your injuries. And, and so the paramedic puts me in the back of the ambulance and she takes the shirt off and she's looking around and touching things like, do you feel any pain here? And she's asking me questions to see if I have a concussion. And I'm answering all the questions very clearly. And, you know, and after she does the inspection, she says, can I tell you something really unusual? And I thought, oh shit, what's she going to tell me? Right. Is something like, is there a rib sticking out my back or, you know, like what, you know, I'm thinking like the worst. And she goes, you're remarkably calm. She goes, there's people in major accidents. You were in a very major accident. You have zero injuries. You're answering all the questions. So I don't think you have a concussion. Your eyes are dilating properly, but your heart rate and everything about you is calm. You don't even have the adrenaline shakes. Like most people are like shaking after an accident. And I said, I do feel calm. And that was a really strange moment because it was like that same calmness for me approaching the wall had carried into that. And I just reacted and I did everything like I should, but I was still calm. And for me, what was going through my mind was mortality. 
how would I have been remembered had I just died? Because I thought I was going to die. How would I have been remembered? That's the next logical thing we think about. And for me, it was really hard to face the truth of that because all I had to do was go think about some of my previous friends who had perished doing the same thing. Motorcycle guys and car guys die all the time, right? So, well, how did so-and-so get remembered? And how so-and-so get remembered? And how did so-and-so get remembered? And it was always the same, man. So-and-so was a nice guy, gone too soon. Hope they're still racing upstairs. Yeah, he had a really cool car. Sorry to see that all go. So I get it. If you're a dirtbag human, you aspire to be remembered as being a nice guy. Okay. But if you've been a nice guy and you're listening to this and you are a nice, good person, that's not something to aspire to because you're already there. So is it really telling me is that, did I want to be remembered as wealthy, nice guy with a bunch of cool cars gone too soon? Like, fuck no. For me, being competitive and somebody that's always telling them that I wanted to do more, it was a highlighting fucking huge spotlight on everything I wasn't doing and I wasn't living up to my potential. And so for the next week, I was thinking really hard, like, what am I doing? Am I really doing enough? Am I doing everything I can possible to change something or help other people in this world? And the answer was no, because I would have just been remembered as nice, rich guy with cool cars. So that's very superficial. And I said, okay, that's got to change because obviously I'm here for a reason. So I'm going to make sure that I do more impact for the rest of my life because we don't have any guarantee of what that's going to be. And says, so, well, shit, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to impact people? I mean, I have money and I started thinking about, well, what are the things that I can help people with? You know, am I just going to be a philanthropist and just donate a bunch of stuff and like go build houses? Like, that's cool, but that's not who I am. Okay. It's not like my passion. So I said, what are the things that could really impact the most amount of people? And for me, there's only been two things in my life that I've been very passionate about, even as a child. It's cars and business. I don't know why I was attracted to business, but I would go to the grocery store as a kid and I would read Hot Rod Magazine and I would grab Entrepreneur or Forbes and I would read those too, even as a kid. So I've always been curious about it. I think it's because I grew up broke and I was thinking that that way be a way to get some money, you know, and I need to learn the terminology and what they're, I didn't understand this shit half the time I was reading it, but I would try. And so for me, it's like, okay, the best way for me personally to impact as many people possible is to teach them business principles and confidence, because those are the things I was excelling at. I'd seen the good results from the last 15 years privately with my friend network. I need to go amplify that and figure that out. I need to get over being a bitch and hiding from the camera and wanting to hide anything. So I said, well, shit, what's the best way for me to get my word out there then? You know, I'm just not that person to go do that. I wrote a book. I said, well, if I just write a book, maybe I can get a little bit of private fame and at least my knowledge and my information will be out there and it can reach thousands of people. That's the way I was thinking, right? Still trying to hide. So I wrote that book and then it became a number one bestseller on Amazon, sold thousands of copies, changed the life of thousands of people. I used to say impact thousands of people, but I did that. So now I say I'm impacting millions of people because that's the next logical step. I wasn't comfortable saying, I'm going to go impact millions of people. I didn't have that confidence to say that until I impacted a dozen people and then a hundred people and then thousands of people. And it sounds stupid to say, I'm going to go impact tens of thousands of people. So I just skipped to a million because I like to shoot high. So that's my goal is to impact the generational legacy of millions of people by teaching them business principles and confidence. And that's what I'm doing. And that's why I launched 365 Driven. So that's the best way I'm going to serve this world. Man, I love that, Tony. It's such a great story. It's it's so amazing to me. Number one, you know, often what happens with people is they play victim, right? Like they would have 
blame the car or this story would have been a much different story. They would have blamed the car or blame this or blame that. And then they could have came out of it and said, well, because this happened now, I'm going to be crippled or I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that or I can't drive again or right. Like you could have easily came out and been like, well, that sucked. Damn car, shitty car, shitty this. And you could have said, well, now I can't ever drive because I'm afraid of another car busting on me and uh, it could kill me. And rather you came out and you said, shit, what number one, your first thought is what did I do? Uh, which I love the ownership of that. Like, what is it that I've done to get myself into this situation? And then number two, you got out of it and you said, instead of looking back and being mad about the car, your first thing is like, man, what impact have I made up to this point? And how can I make more impact? I really love that. And so if you're listening to this, you know, really take that, take that lesson of stop blaming other things and other circumstances for who you are and where you're going. Because you can be great. You can do amazing things without money, without influence, without any of these things, right? Like you didn't have a huge following at that point and you didn't have all these things, but you chose to take what you had and put yourself outside of your comfort level and really build something huge. And, you know, because you're doing that, you're going to go so far. Like you're just at the surface. You're really just starting to break out. I mean, that was 2015. So we're in 2020. Yeah. So again, that goes back to that time frame. five years to get to where you are right now, right? Dude, it, it was even, even worse than that because it took me two years to finally figure out what I was going to do, right? Mm. 2015, it happened. 2017, May of 2017 is when I launched this brand. So it's really only been three years of me going hard with this brand because I finally kind of had an idea of what I was going to do. So I left right. my corporate job. I was making... a year in my oil and gas career. I left that in 2015 and I never looked back and I decided to really focus on what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I knew I didn't want to sit in a desk the next 20 years of my life and retire like most people. And I really did some soul searching. And and really in 2016 and 17 were the lowest income years I had in the last 20 years because I quit my job and I was actually scaled down my other businesses so I can be more focused, you know, and and Lisa, you know, she thought I was kind of crazy for a little while about that. And I was like, you know, I I was like, if I have to go back and get another engineering career, it's like, you're going to see a broken man because it's not going to be what this thing that I need to go do is always going to be on my mind. Right. And this year was your first year to do a live event. Like this was your first event. Um, And that's so awesome. That is so awesome. Like it keeps me inspired it reminds me that, you know, I just need to keep the path and keep on doing what I'm doing and pushing through. And, you know, for me, often I just, I'm a ready, fire, aim guy. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I just go for things and I'm learning that often before when I was a ready, aim, fire, the problem would be is that I would never pull the trigger, right? <laughs> like I would just never do it because I would just be aim, aim, aim. And then the deer, or the elk would just walk on by. Like Dude, it's so much easier just to do the action and learn from it and move on or fail fast and cheap and keep going, you know? Right. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned from a lot of people that I follow, like including yourself, is that it's all about learning how to pivot after you fail, right? Because you're going to yeah. fail at things. It's just the facts. Dude, I've started nine companies. Only three of them made a lot of money. Most people don't realize that. It's like 30%. You yep, know? And if you're not willing to like go do all these efforts to try to you know hit a home run at least once, then you're not you're going to be successful. And most people try something one time. Like we're both into fitness. How many people have you known that would have been like completely out of shape and they go to the gym last like two weeks? Like we're about to hit New Year's soon, right? It's going to happen like that it's first coming. month. Uh, 
they're like, oh man, we're going to go join the gym. And this is going to be finally the year to turn things around. Oh man, this is sore. And it's, it's like extra work. And, you know, and I don't have biceps or abs yet. And I've been working out really hard for two months. And, you know, it's yeah. like those people will quit just like anything else. And they'll never get the results. Right. You know, fitness is a constant, constant journey. Years, years it takes, you know, often. And sometimes you have to uh, gain weight in order to lose weight. Like people forget that too. Like yeah. some people have ruined their metabolism and they need to gain some weight so they can lose weight. Um, and you know, so what's funny is like we, we got back from Utah, I spoke at another event in, in Arizona the following weekend. So I was gone like, I guess, uh, 13 days. And we didn't really have other, any exercise other than hiking, right? You know, so I wasn't lifting heavy weights, like my deadlifts and benches and stuff. And I came back thinking I was going to be weak as fuck. And, you know, like, oh, fuck, here we go to the gym. I have to start over and get my reps built up. Dude, I came back stronger. Yep. Like I came back finishing my bench sets and I hadn't benched in, in almost two weeks. It was crazy, you know? Sometimes we just need some rest for our bodies, you know? I think we so. We need to give our bodies some time to just recover. That's often yep. one of the problems we have is we don't give ourselves time to recover. I get it. Tony, I really appreciate this conversation, man. You know what? Again, when I say that, you you know, I, I really appreciate the things that you're doing. I really look up to you. I'm super grateful that you jumped on the podcast with me. I love your story. You know, there's a ton of takeaways people can take from this conversation. Just the fact where you came from. So often, everybody that I talk to, I always seek out people who have came from nothing and driven themselves into something huge. Uh, and so, because that's what I want people to remember is that you can come from, you know, a space where you don't have a lot and you can create a lot just off your drive alone and your visualization manifestation, you know, just going after the things that you want. You can do it. Anybody, anybody can do what you've done. Absolutely, man. And just, we're all humans and we're all the same. And you know, when you start to realize that the people you put on a pedestal are still humans and put pants on just like you and they have the same insecurities and doubts and problems and things like that. And the people that you are looking down on or condescending, they're having the same issues as you. So we're all the same, guys. And, and it's all based on the amount of effort you put in, the beliefs that you have. And you may not be confident right now. You may not believe in what's possible for yourself right now, but start to surround yourself with other people who will encourage you and see the potential within you that you may not necessarily see yourself at the moment and just take those steps because most people think that you have to be confident to take action. But I always say that you actually have to take action to become confident because when you take those small steps, no matter how small they are, you gain a little increment of confidence with each one of those steps. And yeah, you will have failures and you will have to walk backwards on those steps sometimes, but you're still going to have that confidence, which builds momentum and then you're going to look back after so many steps, you're going to be having covered hundreds of miles of steps. And then you're going to be very confident because you've been taking those actions. So if you don't feel confident right now, if you don't feel motivated right now, get off your ass, take some steps towards your goals, and you will find confidence with each step and it's going to increase. I love that. That is such great advice, Tony. Can you just drop yourself a few uh, plugs here? Yeah, where can uh, the listeners find you at? Uh, where can they watch for your next event? I know I'm going to be waiting for your next event to pop up. I'm excited about it. Uh, yeah, just throw us down some plugs for yourself. I'm very active on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, but you can find links to all those on my website. It's 365driven.com. And we've got an entrepreneurship group that Nick's a part of, and you can find the free version on Facebook at 365driven entrepreneurs, or you can join the society. We can do that from the website as well. So hope to see you in both because it's a crazy value of awesome people. I couldn't agree more, man. I have gained so much value from the group. 
uh, so much value from the live event, you know, and I'm so excited to continue to gain knowledge and value from it. So I really appreciate you, Tony. appreciate you jumping on and I can't wait to continue to follow you and uh, just see where life goes. So great appreciation. Thanks for having me on the show, Nick. You've been listening to Building Grit, one call at a time. Everyone faces challenges, and we talk to people who use grit to be triumphant. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we hope you had some fun along the way. We know we did. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with Nick on Facebook at Nick Wingo and on Instagram at building underscore grit. And remember... Victory is always possible for the person who refuses to stop fighting. This is Building Grit One Call at a Time, signing off.